You're listening to the Vineyard Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit vccmountcomfort.org. So the title of today's sermon is, Who is Jesus of Nazareth? And we're going to take an interesting route to get to this. To begin to answer the question, I wanted to start with um, a verse from the very beginning of the book of Revelation. And it's verse, chapter 1, verse 4, just the beginning of it. It says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was, and who is to come. You know, something that's kind of interesting in this phrasing, John always refers to God, God the Father, as my Father or Jesus' Father. And also, the normal greeting that he gives of grace and peace, he orders it with three clauses, and each functions as a divine title. And we're going to see this, if if you study the book of Revelation, you're going to see it in in verse 8, then you're going to see it in 4.8, you'll see it in 11.17, you'll see it in 16.5. This phrasing is really important. And while this is more than a standard epistle, Paul does the same thing. He always opens with grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is different. This is very different. So why? So before we dig into this verse, we've got to know a little bit about John. John, John was one who wrote this verse. He writes in Greek, but he thinks in Hebrew. And this is really important because he frequently seems to make these real grammatical errors in his Greek. And he does this because he wants us to pull our memory of the Hebrew reference he's making. Paul writes perfectly good Greek. He does this all the way through. He writes everything in Greek. But when he wants you to see that Hebrew feel, he quirks it up a little bit. And so, so a lot of times the scribes would actually correct his grammar. You know how some of us grammar police are. And so, but most of us have caught on to it. Another thing John loves to do is to pull Old Testament phrases and images into his text, but he never cites the source. And he doesn't tell you what the meaning is. And the book of Revelation is full of references, types, and allegories to the Old Testament. And and John sometimes repurposes them just to fit his message. So instead of the normal, it is written, and then he cites it, he just does a mashup with like three or four verses and jams them all in together, and there you have this new picture. It's kind of cool, really. Those of you who like puzzles, it makes it for a a more fun thing but you get this overall overarching image that he really wants to give you. So he gives you several things at once. So in this text, the word from is not in there. So if you look, if you read this, it says grace, peace, peace. Then it just says, doesn't say from, it says him. It goes right into the very nature of who God is instantly. Okay. So, this phrase, but um, what it does is it pulls us into that question of who is, the who is, and that makes you go to the burning bush of Moses. 
And that's in 3.14. So we've got this picture of Moses instantly coming into this. So now we've got this phrase, and this is going to occur several places in one form or another. It's absolutely foundational for the entire book of Revelation, and it's foundational to our understanding of the nature of God. Now we get the whole phrase, because there's more to it than just this who is part. It who is, it's got who was, who is, who is to come. You have to do a little bit of history now. There was a famous oracle at the time that this was written. Um, and it was called the Oracle of Dodona. And it was commonly cited. And it says, Zeus was, Zeus is, Zeus shall be, O mighty Zeus. Now the pagan world, in, in the pagan world, Zeus was considered most high. And he was often just called hypsistos, which is the Greek word for most high. So here's John. He's coming right out of the gate here, verse 4 of this big book, and he's saying, boom, I'm going to take a little shot at your old Zeus guy. And that's what he does. And now remember the little grammatical error, the little boo-boo? Okay, so now that's got us back into the burning bush. So it's saying, hold it here. John's saying that the ho-hypsistos, the Most High, is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He brought us into this whole thing. Every Greek or Roman at that time could see that John has now thrown down the gauntlet. The one true God is Yahweh, and he is the Most High God. That's what that phrase is about all the way through the Bible. It's letting people know, you know, I know you guys got your gods, but we've got the most high God. And so he's, he's establishing it right away. See, most pagans had heard of Yahweh. And that, but what they kind of looked at it, we do the same thing a little bit. They looked at it as just a Jewish word for Zeus. They really, really, he's talking about the same thing, is kind of what they would say. And so much the way they do with, with the Roman God, Jupiter, is, it's the same thing. John's saying, oh, no, 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 no. This is the most high God. He's not similar and he's not equal. But he is hypsistos, ho hypsistos, or God of all gods, the most high God. So now you got to remember now, John's writing this, the Greco-Roman world ruled, as they looked at it, the entire world. And as they, so their government, their culture, their art, and especially their gods were superior to anything known on earth. And here's John saying that the ancient God, Yahweh, is not only the Jewish God, but he's also the same God of the Christians. But John is going to go a little bit further. He's going to say a lot more here in a second, way more. John is going to show that the Most High God became man, died, rose again, in the person of Jesus. This is the center of Christian faith, and this is the center of the book of Revelation. So now we're going to move over to verse 8. Verse 8 in chapter 1. It says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. So now he's added to this phrase. So what's that done? That just pulls Alpha and Omega. That brings us now where? Isaiah. 
Isaiah uses this phrase a lot. So he's pulling those phrases into this whole picture now. So we, I'm going to go through a couple of them real quick. Isaiah 41.4. Who has performed and done it, calling the generations from the beginning? I am the Lord. I, the Lord, am the first. And with the last, I am he. 43.10. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, my servant whom I have chosen that you may know and believe me, understand that I am he. Before me there is, was no God formed, there shall be, nor shall there be after me. 44.6 Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. 48.12 Listen to me, O Jacob. And Israel my called. I am he. I am the first. And I am also the last. Before God, no other. He created all others. Listen to what he's saying. He is the lone creator. He is lone self-existent one. The lone pre-existent one. The lone eternal one. Nothing else. Even the spiritual world can claim these attributes. These are important verses. These are powerful verses. So the early verses of Revelations say more than the eternity God in the beginning and in the now and in the future. It's so much more. They're saying that our incomparable sovereign God, who is Lord over history, is able to bring prophecy to fulfillment and deliver his people despite overwhelming odds, whether from Egypt, Babylon, Rome, or some future power. That last part, the one who is to come, can be understood referring to sovereign consummation of history in the future. It's going to end exactly as God intends it to end. Yeah. So we look at Revelation 1-4. We go, hey, that's God. We got that. We look at 1-8. Oh, yeah, that's God. That's clearly God. Then he gives us Revelation 1-12 through 17, and we're like, Ah, that might be God. So we look at that. It says, we'll start with verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me. Now remember, up to this point, John is just hearing everything. Now he turns, he's going to see what's, who, this person that's talking to him. And it says, I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of God, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His, hair, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as sounds of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth, when a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. John has just bounced around literally in this little passage through the Old Testament. He, this is what he loves to do. He has actually tossed several sources together like a salad. Because these all come from the Old These are all Old Testament descriptions of God. 
all parts of it. And he just brings them all together. He just lets you sort them out. And so it's, I, I love it. So this part, I, and John sees this, God of the Old Testament, and collapses as, as if he's dead. He's in stunned shock. But it moves forward to verse 18, and that's not Yahweh. Verse 18 says, I am who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forever. Amen. I have the keys of Hades and of death. This is Jesus. So everything we've been saying about this Most High, the God above every God, the deliverer of Egypt and from Babylon, the God at the burning bush. This is not just the God of Israel. He's the God of all believers, all those who believe in the Messiah, Jesus. Not only that, but this God is also Jesus. That's amazing. He became man, he died, and he rose again. You don't have to wait for some council in Nicaea to, to give us a formulation of who Jesus is. We have got it right here. Remember, this is the beginning point of the book of Revelation. This is where it starts. It begins with the grandest, most profound picture of God and lets us know that this is the picture of Jesus. John turned and saw God, and he's telling us that before he can even begin to explain the redeeming work of his son Jesus, we need to turn and see Jesus as he really is. He's saying, don't read past this chapter until you get an idea who Jesus is, because he's rolling through this book, and he's coming. And, and it's a most powerful, exciting book. It is called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. I don't mind right now jumping to the end of the book. And I'm going to go to chapter 22. There's only 22 chapters in the book, so it is the end of the book. And, and this is Jesus testifying to the churches. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the said city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. But I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you, you meaning John, now to us, these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star, and, and the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Jesus. You know, we've got this little tiny manger, and we've got this gift in a manger, this gift of heaven. But let's put eye, the eyes of heaven and see the almighty, sovereign God who was, who is, who is to come, Jesus. Yeah. You know, this is the last Sunday of the year. Uh, you know, 
And it falls right here in the Christmas season. I'm going to really urge each of us to carve out, if possible, a little time this week and just ponder the magnitude of the incarnation of God with us. The magnitude of this. I mean, as you stretch your mind's eye in the panorama of all that God is, and then we see it being compressed into a little baby. All that God is, is in a manger. All this, I am who am, I am who was, I am who will be, the, the one that, 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 kept, that brings people out, the one that changes, the one that redeems and saves lives and then gives life. That's what we're talking about. And when you see this picture, and as it starts to form in you, you will helplessly fall in love with Jesus. I just have to say, I have helplessly fallen in love with Jesus. The picture of Jesus is just too much and too overwhelming at times. That's why I can only take it in pieces. That's why John fell flat on his face, as if he was dead. Because we talk about having the presence of God, but when sometimes when we're in the presence of God, we feel like we want to fall dead. And, and, and he does the same thing. He puts his hand on you and says, get up. And he so, do not be afraid. I can't understand this to, to this day. How is it we cannot be afraid in the face of all that Christ is because of who Christ is? That's what's amazing. And that's what came on a night in Bethlehem. That's why the shepherds danced and danced in the fields. It says they went, when they left, they were dancing. That's what we have today. I made this today kind of short because, quite frankly, Michelle was supposed to give the sermon today. And so God looked up and looked down and said, got to go to the bullpen. He said, give me the lefty. <laughs> but I just want us to really take a time at Christmas to, to look at the magnitude of what this day is. That it, I think it works a little better a day or two after all the gift and the wrapping papers thrown away and all that kind of stuff, that now let's go, wow, what did we just celebrate just now? And we have a whole week before the new year. I just implore that you take some time with this. Uh, this was, was funny because you have anything on your mind? I go, actually, I do. I don't have, I'm going to make it into a sermon. But this one was on my mind. And so I hope it's on your mind. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To receive more audio content from The Vineyard, click the subscribe button in iTunes.